Hi, this is Dover Olavsky, and welcome to the Robert Olavsky Show. Whether you're watching with our friends over at Torah Anytime, or wherever you watch or listen to your podcast, it's certainly nice to have you along. And uh, we have made it through Rosh Hashanah, or you wouldn't be listening to this, I assume. And uh, we're getting ready for Yom Kippur. And uh, there is something majestic about Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. That's why it's called the Yomim Noroyim. Noira. It fills with awe. That's why in English it's called the Days of Awe. Yeah, it fills you with a, a sense of, of gravitas. And even if you dive in, in a small shul, uh, they usually change the paroches, put up a white paroches. You're coming on Yom Kippur, you have the white paroches, hopefully you have the white cover on the bima, and everybody's wearing, uh, wearing kittles, and uh, the whole, the, the, there's a majesty to the day that you feel when you come in. There's something about coming in, if, assuming that you can make it in time for Tefillah's Zaka. No judgment here. You know, I don't mean to say that because I know it's not always easy. Uh, my father had a minig to give the children a bracha on Erev Yom Kippur. Some people give them every Friday night. My father only did it Erev Yom Kippur. And so how many times have I ran off to shul and then my wife tells me you forgot to light your outside candles, you know. So you have to remember this. things take care of the last minute and everyone's nervous. To be able to eat enough, drink enough. We're, we're, we're probably the most nerve-wracking part of the day is, of course, whether or not we're, you know, going to be hungry. Um, I started going to a cardiologist, uh, like all Jews, a top cardiologist, you know, the, one of the heads in Shait said, because every Jew goes to the head of the hospital. <laughs> Dick Mason says, how many heads of the hospital can there be, you know? But... Uh, He's one, of, he's one of the heads of the cardiologist. I've got which area of cardiology he is, you know. And when I went to him after my heart attack in my bypass operation, um, he uh, used to tell me, you can't fast on fast days, but on Yom Kippur, drink shirim. Now, if you drink shirim on Yom Kippur, you're still considered fasting because you have like a little shot glass like every nine minutes. That's not called drinking, halachically. <clears throat> so you're still fasting. On a regular fast day, I'm not fasting. So I have a problem getting a liya and things like that. But uh, Yom Kippur, I'm still fasting. And uh, I remember after a couple of years, I said to him, I said, I did a stress test. It was good. I did a EKG. It was good. I did an echo. It was good. Why can't I fast on, on Yom Kippur? And he says, because you're a very sick man. So... Uh, you have heart disease. That's that's serious. Anyway, so you think a little tiny cup of water every nine minutes. Let me tell you, it really makes a difference. <laughs> it doesn't add up to that much at the end of the day, but it does carry you through. You know, you, know, you get on Yom Kippur, you know, when you're fasting like that and your mouth starts to get so dry and parched. Yeah. Especially if it's hot. Uh, you dry out either if it's hot or it's over air conditioned because the air conditioning dries out the air. Yeah? So you can be in shore and you're freezing and drying out at the same time, you know? So it's like sort of like freeze dried coffee, you know what I mean? <laughs> but anyway, so, uh, so you're going in this, people are nervous and they get up to shore, but assuming you can get there early enough, you can still 
sit down, you see all the people sitting there saying to Ozaka, it's, uh, there's something, there's something majestic. And then they take out the Sefer Torah, they do Kol Nidre, there's, it's, it's, it's something that has touched Jews throughout history, even when, when, uh, Jews were more distant from Yiddishkeit, from their Torah and where they came from. Kol Nidre always had a certain meaning to it. It would, the shuls would fill up. I grew up in a conservative synagogue, and they used a small uh, shul uh, area, small chapel. I don't know what you call it. it. Wasn't the chapel? The chapel was downstairs. It was it was the small synagogue for during the year. And on Yom Kippur, they had doors in the back to the social hall that they would open up, and then they would make an overflow minion in another place. The place was packed. People never came to shul. But Kolnitra, uh, everybody came. It's uh, it's one of the tragedies that it was filled with people who wanted to feel some kind of a connection and didn't. I think that's really the maybe the the saddest part is that people would come to Shon Roshem Kippur looking for something that would speak to them, that would be meaningful to them, and they weren't getting it. But uh, they wanted to be there. Shining and Kippur. Yeah. Um, there was a Jewish baseball player, not religious, uh, Sandy Koufax. And the World Series came out on Yom Kippur. And to him, it wasn't even a Shaila. I mean, his whole life was baseball. It wasn't even a Shaila. I'm going to show on Yom Kippur. But it's, but it's the World Series. The World Series. But it's Yom Kippur. On uh, Yom Hazikaron, uh in Israel, they blow a siren, and everyone's supposed to stand in silence, remembrance of the of the soldiers who fell. And okay, you know, uh, there are many Haredim who believe that that falls under the category of Chukas Hagayim. Laws of the non-Jews that you're not supposed to keep because we Jews have never commemorated with a moment of silence. We're not good at that. Silence is not our, our key. Dibur is where our Koyach comes from, not sitting silently. Well, there was one year during Yom Hazikaron and there were some kids, it was kids who were fooling around and, and yelling things and you know, whatever at the, at the soldiers. And so this became a major blow-up. Major blow-up. So a bunch of Haredi leaders in Yerushalayim met with, um, I think the guy's name was Kahalani, I think, you know, and uh, to basically apologize that there were kids who were making noise during the Yom Hazikaron. And he looked at them with a mixture of anger and contempt. And he said, you don't understand. This is our Yom Kippur. No, they didn't say anything because there are certain people who are better at politics than I am. The reason that I would have never considered a career in politics is probably the reason why I've never had a job as a synagogue rabbi because it takes a certain finesse and an ability to keep your mouth shut, which I have never been good at. As Remendel Weinbach, that's how the 
founder of Orsamech, once said, you're so effective, but what are we going to do about your big mouth? So it is a problem, yeah? But they would have said, this is my Yom Kippur. I would have said, Nebuch, you have no idea what Yom Kippur is. If, if, if the fact that 70 years ago they made a rule, we're going to blow a siren, everyone's going to stand silently, that to you is Yom Kippur? Clear, you've never gone to yet. It's it, it in Israel there are, there are still people who are divorced from what basic Judaism means. It's sad. You know, there there are a lot of Jews here who don't know basic things about Judaism. You know, uh, it was a paper that was. Uh, Writing up that, you know, tonight is going to be Kol Nidre. They spelled it with a kuf, Kol Nidre, like the sound, the sound of Nidre, as opposed to Kol, all, no difference. They didn't know what it meant, you know. I heard some on the radio once, uh, one of these secular radio stations, you know, and Israelis call it, uh, you know, uh, Yom Ofanayim, because there's at least enough sensitivity on Yom Kippur that even though they don't go to shul and they don't understand it, but they don't drive. Don't drive. The roads are, for the most part, empty. Everybody rides bicycles. So she was interviewing some rabbi beforehand, and she was, like, joking, goes, No, uh, uh, you know, Od Kamiyomims, Yom Kippur, Yom Ofenayim, Nechon. And he said, This is not a joke. This is the most serious day in the Jewish calendar. Jews take this very seriously. And she was like, Oh, okay, whatever, you know, move on. Uncomfortable. You're making fun of something that is so important to 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 Jews throughout all of history. Kol Nidre, oh, Yom Kippur, the 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 efforts that Jews have gone to be able to get to show on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, what it means. So there's a majesty to this day, and there are things that. Uh, throughout the day, obviously, have different meanings to different people. And um, the certain piyutim have special meaning, certain tunes have special meaning. But, uh, but the Kriya Taira is, uh, of course, about the avoda in the Beis Mikdash that took place, Parshas Afghan Rose. And uh, in the afternoon, we read the Parsha of Arias. A lot of different reasons why. This is in the afternoon. A lot of people are thrown off because they're used to coming late, uh, especially on Shabbos Mincha, because they figure, okay, there's Ashrei, there's Uvalitzion, you know. And not even Kippur, they start right away taking out the Torah. Right away, they, they lay in the Torah. And then they have Mafti Yoyna. An entire Sefer that is read as the Haftarah, the story of Yonah. We're familiar, of course, from the time we were children. Yonah, the reluctant prophet. Hashem tells him, go to Nineveh and tell them, if they do not do tshuva, then he's going to destroy the city. And Yonah says, no. I guess on a boat to escape. And it stresses, he gets on a boat to go to Tarshish. And suddenly there's a storm. And it's not your average storm, because the storm is only around the boat. It's localized. And it's a terrible storm, it's going to sink the ship. 
and they tell everyone, pray to your gods. And uh, they find this one passenger who booked a, a trip with them. He's just sleeping downstairs. He says, what are you doing? Don't you see the ship is going to sink? He says, look, full disclosure, I'm a prophet of God. Uh, he's doing this for me. This is because of me. So he says, well, what do we do? He says, throw me overboard. Now, these were Ovdeya Vodazara. These were idol worshippers, not known for the highest level of morality, but they felt bad about it. So they take him and they stick his foot in the water and the storm stops. They pick it back up, the storm starts again. <laughs> I said, okay, sorry about this, Yona, really. And they throw him overboard. And of course, a big fish swallows him and, you know, eventually spits him back out on the land and he does his mission and he goes to Ninveh and he tells them to do tshuva and they all do tshuva. And it would seem to be a happy ending. So obviously we learn about tshuva, we learn about different kind of things. There's a lot of strange aspects to the story. Obviously there's more to the story than the simple story. Um, Yona wanted to escape. So he figures, if I get out of Eretzrael, I can't get Navur. I'll be Ois Navi. According to others, he wanted to be on a ship because a ship is at sea and uh, you um, uh, have difficulty concentrating and he won't reach that level of concentration necessary to be a Navi. To get Navur, you have to have a tremendous amount of focus and you have to be happy. And that's why there was a story with Elisha where he gets angry and he loses the Ruach HaKodesh and he has to get minstrels to come and play music for him to cheer him up. Because you cannot get Navua when you're depressed, which I always thought is an amazing thing when you read through Yishayahu and Yirmiyahu. They had to be happy. Gonna burn your temple, exile your people, and you're gonna eat your children. Whoa, 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 sing it. Da, 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 you know, and I gotta be happy for that. Oh, I'm not gonna get the mushrooms. I'm like, oh, you're depressed. I'm not gonna tell you anymore. <laughs> okay, you're back. Oh, I'm gonna throw you in a pit and take away your money and your lives and your this. And <laughs> gosh, amazing. So he figures, I won't have the simcha, I won't have the concentration. I'll be okay. Hashem says, no. But there's one aspect to this that I find strange because, you know, nothing is by accident. If I was writing this book, I would have said, Yona went down to the docks and booked himself onto a boat. And then have the whole story with the storm and then throw him overboard. Why does it say he went to Tarshish? Why Tarshish? And, um, and afterwards, when they spit him out, so... Uh, he goes to Ninveh, tells them to do tshuva, and they all do tshuva. And he says to Hashem, you see, that's why I wanted to go to Tarshish. Not just that's why I wanted to run away. That's why I wanted to go to Tarshish. What's Tarshish? What's the significance of Tarshish? So, Chassam Soifer says, Aleph Beis represents Chesed. Olam Chesed Yibonah. So the normal way of creating the world in pure chesed would be 
to create it with Aleph, Beis, Gimel, Dal, Hei, Vav, Zion, Chestas, etc., straight through. What's the opposite of that? It's what's known as Tashrak. Taf, Shin, Resh, Kuf, etc. That's why you'll find many slichas written by the Aleph Beis, and occasionally you'll find slichas or piyutim written in Tashrak. Tashrak represents me the Sadin. That's the end. Because Aleph represents a Kaddish Baruch Hu, Echad. Yeah? Aleph is one, and that is Hashem. It represents oneness. Aleph stands for Aluf, which is the master. In modern Hebrew, the general, the one in charge, Aluf. That's Aleph, that's Hashem. And of course, you know, you could take an Aleph and go this way and turn it into a Vav and the two little pieces is Yudin. Yeah, in Gematria, that's 26, the same as Yudke, Vavke. So Aleph represents a Kurdish Baruch Hu. By definition, Tuf represents as far away as you can get from a Kurdish Baruch Hu. To'avnu, to'inu, titanu. Titanu, we've wandered off like lost sheep. We're totally distant from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Tough is the first you can go. And that's why Aleph, which Begematria equals one, tough Begematria equals 400. Esav comes to Yaakov with an army of 400 men. Avram gets a Nevoah that he's going to go down into Mitzrayim for 400 years. Ephron asks for 400 Zuz, because 400 equals the words Ayin Ra. Ayin Ra. As far away from Kosh Baruch Hu as you can get, if you will. That represents Midas Hadin. Tashrak, Tavshin, Resh, Kuf, Tzadi. Going the backwards in the Aleph base, that's Midas Hadin. Chesed, Aleph through Tav. Din, Tav through Aleph. Says the Chsam Seifer, Bikesha Kadosh Baruch Hu. Kadosh Baruch Hu wanted to create the world in Din. Now, of course, we mentioned already, he couldn't create the world in Din. He had to create the world as a Chesed. But the method was going to be Din, and he saw that it couldn't exist. So he added in some Rachamim. What's din with a little bit of rachamim? It's the end osios going in the right direction. Kufre shintaf. When he saw that wasn't enough, he added in more rachamim, which is what? Aleph beis gimel dalid, going backwards, dalid gimel beis aleph. That says the Sefer is why bereshis is made up of the last letters going in the correct order, reishin taf. And the Aleph Bays turned around. If it was straight in order, then that would have been pure chesed, pure rachamim. If it would have been going the other direction, it would have been pure din. And so it's din with a little rachamim, and it's chesed with a little bit of din. That's how he created the world. That is voracious. Yonah wanted to go to Tarshish. The last letters in the alphabet. Full disclosure, I never saw this anywhere. It's my own idea. 
He wanted to go to Midas Hadin because he understood that in Midas Hadin there's no tshuva. As the Masil Shum writes at the end of Perak Dalin, tshuva is a chesed gamor. It doesn't fit into din. That's the thing is tshuva. You understand the world doesn't work that way. I was being negligent with a power sword. I cut off my leg. They put warning labels on things today for people who are not the best and the brightest. And uh, someone pointed out there was a label on a power saw that says, do not cut wood on your lap, which is good advice. Someone told me recently that Sunday morning, the most visits to the emergency room or people who were cutting bagels, holding it like this. <laughs> so you cut yourself. You do something stupid. So, so what's the what's the answer? Yeah. So uh, okay. You know, uh, the doctor says I'm really sorry. I you know have to get used to life without a hand, without a leg. So I said. But I have charata gemura me'ikara. I regret this totally. I wish I had never done this. I'm very sorry. So I have charata. And I'm doing vidui. And I'm a kabbalah that I'm never going to do this again. I would like my leg back. The doctor's like, listen, I, I, I don't know where you're coming from. It doesn't really work that way. Life has consequences. Why do you think that the fact that you regret it and you take upon yourself, that that would change anything? It doesn't change the Matthias. The real world exists and the real world has consequences. And the real world is heartless. It doesn't make a difference whether you meant it or not. My mother kept having miscarriages. She, she had three boys. And then there's a big gap, and then she had the last three boys. I'm from the la- I'm number five, from the second set, and uh, and there's a big gap because mar- miscarriages. She had a lot of miscarriages, so uh, they gave her a drug. This was in the 1950s, called thalidomide, which prevented um, uh, miscarriages. And they tested it, and it was fine. If you gave birth to a girl, however, when that girl got married, her children often came out with horrible deformities. So um, they didn't know. Certainly the mother did not intend that her grandchildren should turn out this way. She just wanted to be able to have children. My mother had six boys. She didn't have any girls. So I asked the doctor once. I said, so... What what does that mean if you're a boy? So he says, it turns your bones and teeth yellow. What he said. I'm never going to be a model, basically is what that means. I said, so what can I do for that? He says, wear a brown tie. But that's uh, that's uh, more of a cosmetic uh, solution, I think. But uh, but Hashem, that she didn't have any girls. Now, 
having eight girls. I hope no one takes that the wrong way. I have eight girls myself, you know. Someone asked me, you know, I heard if you have seven boys, you go straight to Olam Haba. I said, that's, that's what it says. I said, what if you have seven girls? I said, no. I said, why? I said, because you get it in this world. <laughs> but anyway, but uh, um, nobody meant for that to happen. But hey, welcome to reality. Uh, Rabbi Left tells the story about uh, when he was a rabbi in Miami. This uh, woman had a container of bleach and she was using it to wash the floors and it broke. Uh, she was losing all the bleach. So she ran and got an empty Sprite bottle and filled it up with the bleach and left it on the floor until she could label it. In the meantime, the daughter comes home and sees a bottle of Sprite in the middle of the living room, which seems kind of bizarre, and took it and put it in the refrigerator. And the husband came home. He was uh, he had been playing tennis, and he was thirsty, and he sees the bottle of Sprite, and he opens it up to take a swig, and the wife sees and stops him. And he said, nobody meant for anything bad to happen, but if he would have, and he died of poisoning, Lamaisa, you're just as dead as if you had had intention for someone to kill you. Because we live in a world of din, because there's reality. And Yonah understood that Akash Baruch Hu has this concept of tshuva that he has created in the world. And they had the ability to change what they were doing. But the way to stop tshuva is din. That's why on Yom Kippur, the whole day is dedicated to tshuva. But Rosh Hashanah, there's no tshuva. We don't say the Yud Gimel Midos. So somebody pointed out, when you take out the Sefer Torah, you say the Yud Gimel Midos. So Moshe Shapiro said, that's true. But if you look in the Gemara, when it discusses the Yud Gimel Midos, when it's being used as a means to being able to... Um, uh, work its magic to be able to do its tshuva. The Gemara Brachas says that the way Hashem showed Moshe to do it is Hashem wrapped himself in a talus like a shlich tzibor. And then the Yud Gibomidos. If you leave out that introduction, it's not the Yud Gibomidos. It's just a statement. And it's just a statement that we make when we take out the Sefer Torah, but it's not the Yud Gimel Midos, to have the power of tshuva, the bris. The bris, where I say I will forgive you when you say the Yud Gimel Midos, that has to have a certain form to it. A tsura, you can't just do it for nothing. So, that we don't do on Rosh Hashanah. We don't talk about tshuva on Rosh Hashanah. Because Rosh Hashanah is din. There's no tshuva in Rosh Hashanah. There's no tshuva in din. When the judge calls you up, he's there to try your case. He's not there to take into account extraneous uh, information. He has to just judge the case. Rabbi Yitzhak Rosenberg told the story. He, he worked in NCSY for many years as an advisor. He was the assistant uh, national director, the national director. And um, and he was close to David Lipschitz in Shiva uh, University. And he said one time he had a, a problem, a kid had a shayla. And he says to David, 
it's very important that we find a heter for this kid. And David looked at him and said, if a poor person brings me a chicken to ask if it's kosher, the only consideration I have is the chicken kosher. I could raise money for her. I could give her my own chicken. I could cry with her. But if the chicken's trafe, the chicken's trafe. That's din. Din doesn't have two sides to it. That's the job of the dying to decide. Yes or no. And so we uh, we come up with a din. The din is chayev, uh, zakai, uh, denani, whatever it is. Then you go into Yom Kippur and there's no din. We're not, it's not, we're not judging you now. There's the din of Aseris Mechuva. There's there's the din that Hashem makes before Tekiah Shaifer. There's the din after Tekiah Shaifer. But uh, but uh, Yom Kippur is outside of that. That's when we throw ourselves on the mercy of the court. That's when we take into account all of those other factors that we hadn't thought about. But in din, there's no chuva. Did you kill the man or not? Yes, Your Honor, I did. But I want to point out that I feel very bad about it and I'll never do it again. <laughs> now, in New York, you get out uh, now for that. That's okay. That's enough. <laughs> but in Din, when there used to be, you know, courts of law, one of the chef mitzvahs in Noach is to set up courts of law to enforce laws. So when you have these prosecutors who say, we're not going to prosecute any laws, you understand that's not good for society. Because Baruch Hu gets very upset at societies that don't keep the Sheva Mitzvahs, B'nai Noach. But um, uh, I feel really bad about it. The tshuva doesn't fit in. He went to Tarshish. Tarshish represents Din because there's no tshuva there. And Hashem gave him a tremendous chesed, saved him, and he did tshuva inside of the big fish. And he spit him out and said, okay, let's try this again. I want you to go to Ninveh and I want you to tell me the following message. It's like, okay. <laughs> so he gives the message and he all do tshuva. And he didn't want them to do tshuva because it's going to make the Jewish people look bad. Because the Jewish people have all these Nevi'im and they keep being told to do tshuva and they won't do tshuva. And he goes to Ninveh and he tells them, yeah, the Assyrian Empire, do tshuva. And they all say, okay. And he says, that's why I want to go to Tarshish. Because I knew that this would make the Jewish people look bad. Yom Kippur is not a day of din. Yom Kippur is a day where we go in dressed in white. Isn't that a strange idea? We're going in with the assumption. You don't need Yom Kippur if you got through Rosh Hashanah as a tzaddik, right? So you need Yom Kippur because you're not. We go in dressed in white. Yeah, because we're confident. Kush Baruch Hu said, if we keep Yom Kippur the right way, he will forgive us. And there's Machlekes in the Gemara. Yeah, that there's a Manda Oma that says, even without Shuva, Yom Kippur will get you forgiveness. It's just the power of the day that Hashem guaranteed us. A day of awe, a day of power. So, Mirza Hashem, everyone should have a Chesiva Chesimataiva. It's been written, but it hasn't been sealed. Until it's been sealed, you can still make changes. You can still bring it back. So whatever Kodesh Baruch Hu has in store for us this coming year, whatever's been written, on Yom Kippur you have the chance to change it to something else. Uchuva, Utvila, 
Utstaka Ma'avir in Ezra Gezeira. What's Ma'avir in Ezra Gezeira? You mean Mavatal the Gezeira? Rosh Hashanah is then. Kaj Baruch decided how many people are going to die and how many people are going to live. And Shuva, Tfila, and Staka, you can move that around. And instead of good people dying, um, not such good people will die. Ma'avir in Israel Gezer, move it to somebody else. Gilbert and Sullivan had this uh, comic opera called The Mikado. And then the executioner sings this song. I have a little list. I have a little list. There's a very many people who never will be missed. They never will be missed. <laughs> There's all these people. He, he feels like he could kill and nobody would notice. <laughs> That's what make a difference. There are certain people who, Mirza uh, Hashem, when we do our tshuva, tefillah, and staka on, uh, on this Yom Kippur, it'll be ma'avir in Israel HaGazerah. The people deserve it. On the subject of Tzedaka, uh people have asked me, can you sponsor this podcast as a, uh, with Tzedakah money? The answer is yes, because it's being used to be Mephar same Torah to thousands and thousands of Yidin and give them chizik and strength. And so, therefore, I forgot at the beginning to thank our sponsor who is sponsoring this episode, Zizchus, for his family, and may him and his family have a good Gebenj de Yor and Ksiva Chsima Taiva along with all of Klai Yisrael. And now we come to the question and answer portion of our program. The first question is particularly uh, significant in light of what we just said. Shimon Gutman asked, how do Rishoyim like Hitler and Machshimo survive a single Rosh Hashanah of Kippur? Surely they were written in the Book of Death. Surely. Surely they were. And don't call me Shirley. <laughs> what does that mean? So, Rav Desla says, the Gemara says that Sadiqim, even when they're dead, are called alive. And Rishoyim, even when they're alive, they're called dead. And he says, there are people who are written in the book of death and they are dead. They're just not going to be buried for another 40 years. But they're dead already. They're the walking dead. There's, 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 Nothing left in them. Yeah. So uh, so that's the answer. You get your din. It will get carried out in the right time. But as far as being dead, you're dead. Anonymous asks, what is the nicest thing someone ever said or did for you? Oh, my gosh. That's a hard thing because I have tremendous hakarasatovs to so many people. Uh, the nicest thing anyone ever did for me, I would have to say, was my Rebbe Rebbe Yaakov Well who was Makai me. I'm a firm Jew today because of that. So how could I uh, how could I think of any chesed in my life that's greater than that? On the other hand, I never would have met him if Rai Fendel hadn't started the Hebrew Academy of Nassau County and convinced my father to send his boys. So that was an unbelievable thing. He went out into Long Island. He wrote a little biography called... Uh, looking for 10 men for a minion. He went out to West Hempstead. There was no Orthodox shul there, and he put an ad in the paper and started it and built the whole community and built the day school. And, you know, thousands of people are from today because of that. Well, that was a pretty good chesed, you know. 
Um, I think the fact that my wife married me, that was one of the nicest things that ever happened to me. Um, because, uh, needless to say, uh, I, I always point out, you know, life's not perfect, but, you know, can I know her? I've got children and grandchildren, you know, uh, I'm married 40 years. Um, you, you turn around and, and you have something that you're leaving behind in this world, you know, it's a, it's an amazing thing, depending what you choose to focus on. So I, I can pull out, you know, major life events. But what's the nicest thing anyone ever said to me is uh, it's a it's a hard it's a hard thing to say because Baruch Hashem I've had a lot of really nice things that people have said to me but uh, I think one of the things I point to is uh, one time I was being introduced by Rabbi Klein from Mikdash Melech and he would always give me these beautiful beautiful introductions and I used to think that just the just being able to come. For uh, for that um, introduction alone was uh, something worthwhile. But um, he said over a word from Meir Shapiro. It says that uh, Moshe Benu was told to make chatzotros trumpets for uh, to assemble the people. You blow the shofar and everybody knows to come. You blow it this way, the Nasim come. You blow it this way, all of Am Yisrael comes. Different kind of things. He says, and the trumpets were buried with Moshe Rabbeinu, and Yehoshua had to make his own trumpets. And Rabbeinu said, because every um, leader has to have his own trumpets, every every manig. And Rabbeinu says, because even though the message stays the same, the means of communication has to change. And so each door needs a different way of giving across the message. And he said, Rabbi Olavsky is the means of communicating the message in our generation. And I was so moved by that. First of all, because it's so obviously true. But, but, uh, but the fact that I have some kind of unique role to play in the world is such a beautiful thought. So, uh, so that was it. But, I think also one of the nicest things that anyone ever said to me, and it wasn't intended to be nice, that's what made it so beautiful, was we have a men's Shemir Salashim before Tishabov here in Harnov. It's always Rabbi Leff and somebody else speaking. And I give a little introduction. And afterwards, Rabbi Leff called me up and asked me what I said because he wanted to say it over on Tishabov. And I thought, I said something that Rabbi Leff wants to say over that I said something that impressed him. That that meant a lot to me. That meant a lot to me. So I could pick out lots of different things, but this is what comes to me off the top of my head. Rizal Edelman asks, if the sun is din, love the show, by the way, why is it able to heal Yaakov Avino after his struggle with Esav's Malach? Yes, I'm also wondering if that's connected to the Ravua that will come after the Geula through the sun. Is that because we're missing the element of Din in this Plan B world? Yes. <laughs> you know that Beis Hillel uh, always sides with Rachamim, and Beis Shammai always goes with Din. And we pass it like Beis Hillel. The simple reason is, of course, there were more of them. But, of course, nothing is for nothing in Judaism. It's because we can't handle din. But it's the Gemara says when Mashiach comes, we'll pass in like Beishamai. 
because then it'll be a world of din. And the lotion is, it's going to remove Shemesh Minartiko. He'll take the sun out of its container and it will be pure light and all the Rishon will get burnt up by it. Because then it'll be pure din. So if you're Zaychabedin, then you have nothing to worry about. Yeah. Yaakov was able, of course, to be in din. And that's why when he fought the Malach of Esav, and bear in mind, there's a rule. Everybody has a guardian angel. I can fight you, you can fight me. My angel can fight you, and you can fight him. But your angel can't fight me. That's not fair. So Yaakov Avinu was able to fight a Malach who, who had this, this tremendous power. He was able to exist in Din, so Kurdish Baruch Hu was able to take the sun and use that Din to heal him. So that the so that the 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 evil from that encounter was not able to affect him. That's the way I understand it. Russell Edelman asks again. No women were involved in the eagle or the Miraglim. Why didn't that make a difference to the outcome? Following that line of reason, can we women have an impact on the future without the men? We always hear about the Nashim Tzidkaniyas, but in this case, that didn't seem to help the outcome. Well, it helped for the women. The women didn't die in the Midbar. They all came into Eretzrael. There were a whole bunch of senior citizen groups, mostly with ladies. Well, the men died in the Midbar. So yeah, it helped for them. But... uh the positions of leadership are given over to men. We are not a matriarchal society. We're a patriarchal society. Yeah? The Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov lay the foundation of Eklai Yisrael. Sarah, Rivka, Rachav, Leah are the ones who help them implement that. But I can only do so much if you don't listen to me. Why don't you listen to me? <laughs> How many times have we men heard that one? <laughs> you don't listen. Why don't you listen? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. If, if we listened, of course, it would make a difference. And that's why in Mitzrayim, when it says we were saved because of Noshim Sidkanios, it meant that they gave us chizik and we took that chizik. They were machazekas. But we ignored them at the eagle and we ignored them at the Miraglim. So they were protected from the effects, but the men were not because they chose to reject what the women were offering them. But be Yemosa Mashiach, the women will be the ones who are providing that strength. I've mentioned this before where um, I used to have trips to Europe. Uh, the Freeds would uh, make it different trips to different places in Europe. And I had this chus to be able to go along and uh, offer words of uh, Torah I wasn't the tour guide. I didn't give any of that kind of stuff because that would involve me actually doing research and preparation. And, you know, there's somebody who has a, a podcast every week and he takes an ad out saying what the topic is and who's going to be on the show and what he's going to discuss. And I thought, maybe I would do that too. The Rabbi Olamsky show. This week, I have the slightest idea. Rabbi Olamsky walks in and says, what do you think I should talk about this week? <laughs> Now, that's not always fair. Sometimes you decide on the car ride over. But uh, but it's an ongoing thing. My wife doesn't know what to do when I say, what should I talk about? <laughs> 200 of these things almost. Uh, each time I have to come up with, what should I talk about? You know, you try not to repeat yourself, but sometimes you can't help yourself, you know? Because I'll walk into my wife and I'll say, what should I talk about? And, you know, it's not easy because, you know, you don't want to repeat yourself. 
Anyway, so I used to do these tours to Europe. And um, when we went to Portugal, so the tour guide, you know, like I said, I'm not the tour guide. That would take a lot of preparation. But um, um, the tour guide said that the Inquisition focused on women more than men. Because for men, you just have to take away their books and they lose their effectiveness. But women are the source of keeping the Judaism alive in the home. And that's going to bring the Google. Okay, one last question. Anonymous asks, why is it that every Gemara, which is Torah Shabbat Alper, has to be printed in the same exact layout? But Chumash, which is Torah Shabbat could be printed in different layouts. Shouldn't it be the opposite? So, the short answer is, it's not true. <laughs> Gemaras were always written out by hand. And that's why when you look at the Rishonim, they never mention a daf. They mention a perik. Right? You look at Rashi, you look at Tysus, like it says in perik such and such. It only has the perik. They don't know what page it's going to come. It's, it's being written out by hand. When the printing, printing press came out, so people typeset the Gemara. Now, there were different versions of it. There was the Gemara of Kelm, which is different than the Gemaras we have today. For the most part, what we have today is what's known as the Vilna Shahs. And uh, that was typeset in Vilna, and it, uh, it uh, became more or less standardized. Why? Just for convenience. If I say, you know, it's on, you know, it's in Shabbos, Dav so you know where to go look. But if I just say it's in Perik Elamadlikin, then you have to go now and start looking around trying to find it. It's a little bit harder. So therefore, we just kept this Surah Sadaf because it was more convenient. It was the one that was already there. Um, I remember when they came out with a new Rashba. And obviously, it changed the Surah Sadaf from the standard old Rashba. And uh, I was in Shir with Ritzvi Kushalevsky, and he says, who has a Rashba? You know, so they give him a Rashba, and he's flipping through it. He goes, can you give me an old one? <laughs> the old one, I know where to find it instantly. This, I'm flipping around. I don't recognize the Surah Sadaf. So for the Gemara, it was much... Uh, more convenient to have a Tzura Sadaf. Um, parenthetically, uh, the Steinsaltz has a different Tzura Sadaf, the one that, you know, is uh, is commonly used. Um, but you'll notice that the Shinantim and the Masifter and the Art Scroll, which will have more than one page explaining it, they keep the Tzura Sadaf and they just do pages and pages of their parish. Uh, Theoretically, they could have just put that piece of the Gemara with their parish and done that over and over again. But um, but they want to keep the Tzor Sadaf. Yeah. Just like I say, convenience, easy to find so that we're all on the same page. <laughs> um, what's the difference by Chomish? If I had to venture a guess, I would say that's because when the Christians set up a system of Prokim and Psukim, so they set it up where there's an easy reference. The references have no significance and don't make sense necessarily without break a parak uh, in the middle of uh, a sugi, in the middle of a little parasha. 
But uh, for convenience sake, you can always say it's Perak this, Pasuk that, and everyone knows where you are, so there's an easy reference. Maybe that's the reason that uh, that it was kept that way. And that's it for this week. If you want to find out more about the show, you can go to RebbeOlowski.com. Uh, you can sign up for one of our online shirim. We just had a bunch of people signed up now for the Tefillah series. And uh, um, it's, uh, I can tell you, I can't speak for everybody. People tell me they get a tremendous chizik. I don't know, but I know it's helping my davening tremendously. And I'm saying over things that I more or less already know, but it, I, I present it in a way that you're able to focus on the words that you're saying. And I'm really very impressed with myself. I don't want to take a, I don't know if I've mentioned that yet today, but, um, but that's very good cheer. We still have the Daf Yomi going. We still have the two Masils Hashanahs going. And, uh, if you're uh, anywhere in the Telstone area, Tuesday night, I give a share of Masils Hashanah at eight o'clock in Telstone. If you want to see a live share, uh, if you want to come to my uh, live Daf Yomi, I have it in, um, Harnof and, uh, which is on my street, uh, 840 every morning. And uh, come to the Shiurim. You could sponsor an episode. You can ask a question, leave a comment. Plenty of things you can do. Well, that's it for this week. Everyone should have a and uh, until next time, I am David Olavsky, and this has been the Rabbi Olavsky Show. It's the Rabbi Orlovsky Show. Torah and Simcha, ready to go. The Rabbi Orlovsky Show. Knowledge and wisdom will help you grow. Lots of fun in every episode. And we don't have to rhyme. No, we don't. It's the Rabbi Orlovsky Show. On RabbiOrlovsky.com. Torah, anytime. It's Rabbi Orlovsky Show. Torah and Simcha, ready to go. It's the Rabbi Orlovsky Show. Till next time, till we meet again. It's the Rabbi Orlovsky Show. It's the Rabbi Orlovsky Show. It's the Rabbi Orlovsky Show. Rabbi Orlovsky show.